So boys and girls, I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. First thing I need you to do is this. After the service, I want you to find me right down here in front, and I want you to tell me something you learned today that you didn't know before about Jesus. Okay, so it's something I'm going to say, so you've got to have to listen. Second thing, boys and girls, I want you to do is I want you to come up with a question that you're going to ask your parents on the way home from church about the sermon. And let's just see if uh, you listen better than they do. Okay? And you report back to me if, uh, if you stump them, okay? Then the third thing, boys and girls, is I need you to pray for me because um, I've always wondered what happens when the person who's supposed to preach gets sick, and this morning I'm finding that out. So I have a horrible cold and, uh, and allergies and a really bad cough. So this could be a really short sermon. We're going to find out. Um, I've been sipping on cough syrup uh, every few minutes in the back, so we'll just see how this goes. Could be one of my best servants, who knows? So, we're glad that you're here this morning. Um, during Lent, I was uh, reading the book, What If It's True by Charles Martin, one of my favorite authors. In chapter three of the book, it really challenged me and found me getting really deep into a passage of scripture that I don't think I really have studied that deep before. Um, it got me into really revealing to me uh, some mysteries about Jesus that I didn't know before. Um, I don't have time today to unpack everything that this uh, passage of Scripture has for us. That would be a mini-series. And I'm actually going to leave you this morning hanging, not even finishing the story because of time. But uh, what I do want to share with you today is just part of what God has been teaching me as I have been digging deep into his word. Now, the story I'm going to tell us this morning, the story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so that we're not like bouncing back and forth between Scripture, I'm going to invite you this morning to enter the story with me as a listener instead of us trying to read it together. Jesus and his disciples, uh, they've been traveling from town to town, and, and they uh, come along a shoreline of the Sea of Galilee from one town to the next, and everywhere Jesus goes, uh, the crowds follow him. Jesus has become a rock star, and rock star has crowds. And so they're just waiting on the shoreline when they see the boats approaching, and, and, and that's exactly where our story, story is today. Uh, there, there is a, a shoreline, and there's Jesus, and there's a crowd waiting for him, and, and there's the disciples, and, and it's just the same story over and over again in the book of Mark. Um, coming towards the crowd, though, Jesus gets off the boat, and we're on the shoreline, and, and coming towards the crowd, we see this man coming, and, and he's aggressively approaching Jesus. Now, the crowd knows this man very well. His name is Jairus. He's a ruler of the synagogue, and boys and girls, the synagogue means the church building in that town. And he's a man of the cloth. He's their pastor, so to say. Now, he's coming, he's coming with great intent. And the crowd picks this up. Now, the crowd knows Jairus. They know that he um, is the man that they go to for answers. He's well-dressed. He's well-educated. He's highly respected in the community. So, so I imagine as he's approaching the outskirts of this crowd, I, be, I see the people starting to part ways because he's a man of authority and honor. And uh, besides that, this could get really interesting because there could be a showdown. Because you see, in other towns where Jesus had stopped along the Sea of Galilee, there had been some showdowns with some of the religious rulers. See, not everybody was so accepting of Jesus' teaching. Uh, they were debating his teaching. Uh, they were questioning his authority. Um, in some places, they ran him out of town. And so I'm sure the crowd was thinking, 
ooh, this, this could get good. And so um, they might have been thinking that Jairus was going to tell Jesus to get right back on that ship and set sail. So, so whatever Jairus was coming, he was coming with intent. But, but no one anticipated what was going to happen next. No one. This leader, this community leader, the one who everybody looks to, the book of Mark says that he throws himself down at the feet of Jesus in complete surrender. The word that Mark uses is the same word that a slave would use to throw himself down before a king and plead mercy. And then there's a word there that says that he begs. That means he repeatedly begs. He repeatedly asks and asks and asks. And he's just, he's just a mess on the ground. Scripture says, my, my little daughter, my only daughter, is dying. Please, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Ah, he's not here as a religious authority, is he? He's here as a desperate father. That changes everything. You know, regardless of, of, of how much we work to keep our world in order, no matter how hard we try to keep our ducks in a row, there are times in our lives where our position, our power, our authority, our income, our dedication even to the church cannot prevent tragedy from coming into our lives in one way or the other. You and I know all too well that despair offers no favor to anyone. It, we, we all experience it, every one of us. And now we have one of our community leaders experiencing it as well. Well, Jesus, of course, agrees to go with Jairus, and so does everybody else in the crowd. You know, um, the momentum now is just moving forward. I, I'm imagining the disciples being like the secret service detail. Okay, Jesus on the move. Big miracle happening, due east. Get the path cleared. Get those kids out of the way. You know, you can just see it. It's, it's all exciting. And can you imagine the crowd? Okay, I was trying to picture the crowd. I think it might be like when the gates open at Wrigley Field for bleacher seats. Yeah. Oh, you've been there. Yeah. I, I think, uh, did, he say, did he say child dying? Jesus is going? Okay, I think they're just taking off. I, I think there's high fives, fist, fist pumps. I think the crowd is into it. It says at this point in our story, I think it's in the book of Luke, that the crowd almost crushes Jesus in anticipation moving forward. And it's right here in the story that suddenly Jesus shuts the parade down. He just stops. Now, in my mind, I see Jesus stopping and all these people falling backwards like dominoes. I love that, right? Jesus stops and he turns around and he says, Who touched me? Who touched me? The, the Secret Service disciples, they're going like, are you kidding me? Jesus, wouldn't it be easier to say, who didn't just touch you? Who, who touched me? And now we will have a commercial for a cough. <laughs> I'm doing well. You see, Jesus knows who touched him. He knows. He knows the difference between those who are just in the crowd, those who just want to be entertained, and those who are in for an experience. He knows the difference. He knows those who are just part of the crowd and those who are seeking an encounter with him. 
He knew it then, and he knows it today. Now, the way Mark writes this story, we understand that a woman has, has made her way quietly through the crowd. And she touches Jesus, and then just as stealth, she backs out of the crowd. But Jesus completely overturns her plans. Actually, she was hoping to go in and come out secretly. But he stops, he turns around, and he starts to look at her. Now, she thought she could go in and out unnoticed. She had become very good at being invisible, and she had been invisible for a really long time. But now she's busted. He knows, and she knows that he knows. Their eyes lock. Who touched me? The scripture says in Mark, then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came back to Jesus and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Ah, you know, as much as Jairus is an insider, this woman is an outsider. She's weak, she's pale, she's ragged, and most likely she smells. She's alone. She's been alone. For 12 years, she's been alone. The only thing this woman has in common with Jairus is that she's desperate and her current posture now at the feet of Jesus. She lays in the dirt and completely undone. Completely undone. I'm looking at ugly cry here. Now, I say that she's completely undone because, first of all, in the book of Mark and Luke, it tells us that when she touched Jesus, her illness was immediately healed. And she knew it. So after 12 years, she's relieved. And so I think her first undone was like, are you kidding me? It happened. But, but I also think she's completely undone because now, in this bold mood to enter this crowd, it's going to cost her everything to tell her story. Total humiliation. So why? Why does Jesus call her back? Why didn't he just let her... Come have her miracle and go in quiet. Why would he do this? Why would he bring her into all this? Now, adults, you understand her illness. She has a chronic issue of bleeding for 12 years. Boys and girls, you have no idea what that means, and that's okay. But just imagine. Imagine if you had a wound on your arm, and it wouldn't stop bleeding. And you put Band-Aids on it, and it wouldn't stop bleeding. And you wrapped it in rags and it wouldn't stop bleeding. And you went to bed at night and it was still seeping blood. And you got up in the morning and it was still seeping blood. And your body began to lose blood and lose blood and, and the dry bloods would smell. And you got weaker and sicker and weaker and sicker. And, and this happened for 12 years of your life. So add 12 years, boys and girls, to your life right now. And that's how long you would have this wound. <coughs> you would be so discouraged. The Bible says in the book of Mark that she'd gone to many, many doctors. She'd spent all her money. And that everything she did today made it worse. I looked up some of the remedies that she might have been told to do. Here's just one. Boys and girls, you're going to love this. She was to take an ostrich egg. She was to burn it, take the ashes, wrap it in a cloth, and carry it with her in the summertime. And that was supposed to heal her. Yeah. Another one was she was supposed to pick through the manure of a white donkey I don't know if I've ever seen a white donkey, and get a kernel 
of barley and carry that with her. So when we say that she went from doctor to doctor, remedy to remedy, who knows all the things that maybe she had done. She was at the end of herself. So the other part of this is, is because of her illness, she was ceremonially unclean. According to the law of Leviticus, for the past 12 years, everything she touched, everywhere she sat, everywhere she laid, everything that touched her was also considered unclean. She was not allowed to be with people or people to be with her. Her illness meant that she was forbidden to go to the synagogue. She didn't go to the church. And because she couldn't go to church, she couldn't do offerings. Because she couldn't do offerings, she never encountered the priest, which means she never got to encounter God. For 12 years, she lived outside of her community, away from her family. And I find this the most hurtful of all. No hugs, no kisses, no human touch. See, being unclean, she didn't dare ask Jesus to touch her. So she had to skirt through that crowd, go in and out, knowing if she got caught by Jairus or the crowd, she would be punished. But when she reached Jesus, she thought to herself, if I could only touch the hem of his coat. Now, in Jesus' day, men wore an outer garment, and on that outer garment were four tassels. And in every four, in each one of those tassels was one blue strand. And that blue strand was a reminder that God is holy and that God is healer. It tells us in the, in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, the Lord said you are to make tassels on the corners of one's garment with a blue cord on each tassel. And you will have these tassels to look at so you will remember who I am. So I think maybe when the woman is approaching Jesus, there's a good chance that what she went is not touch his back, but she might have reached down and touched the tassel. Because if she would have known about the book of Malachi, the book of Malachi says this, but for you who reverend my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. <coughs> the word wings and the word tassel are the same. She would have known that there was healing in his wings. So I want you to visualize now Jarius and the crowd as she's telling the story. Uh, first of all, there's gas and there's looks. And did she touch you? Did she touch you? No, I don't think so. No, I don't know where she came from. And, and I'm sure they're like slowly backing away as she's revealing her illness to them. See, to be touched by somebody who was unclean meant that first you'd have to take a bath, wash all your clothes, and you could not be with any other person till sundown. And that would be the ritual that the whole crowd would have had to do. They were probably furious at the inconvenience she was making them. And what about Jurius? He's the synagogue ruler. It's his job to keep people like her out of the community, not in. And technically now, Jesus is unclean. Well, that puts a damper on things. So, so why? Since she had been healed at the moment that she touched Jesus, why was Jesus exposing her wounds to the world? I think because Jesus desired so much more than physical healing. I'm going to repeat that. I think Jesus, requ- re- I think Jesus desired <coughs> so much more than physical healing. You know, when we're sick, 
When we're seriously sick, we don't think anything else matters. But it does. We are a whole person. And God is interested in the entire being of who we are. Yes, he could have simply healed her bleeding, and he did. But Jesus desired to heal her completely. Jesus desired to transform her, to restore her more than she ever thought she needed. And then at this point, of all the words Jesus could have said, he says the most single, most beautiful word, maybe in scripture. He looks at her and he says, daughter. It's the only time Jesus ever uses that word. Daughter. I don't, I don't think Jesus left her in the dirt. I think he picks her up. I think he wipes her tears. I think he looks into her eyes. And I think he does what no one else can do to this woman. See, Jairus, Jairus was the father, the advocate, the defender. Jairus was the champion for his daughter. Jesus was the champion for this daughter. She's no longer alone. She belongs. And everyone in the crowd now knows it. She is not just physically healed. She is restored. I love that Jesus did this in the story. And I love that Jesus does the same thing for me. He takes this invisible woman who's buried in the dirt, a woman with no name, and now he gives her the name daughter, daughter of the living God. You know, I, I wonder, what is Jesus teaching at this juncture of the story? What is he teaching you and I? What's he teaching Jairus? What's he teaching the disciples? What's he teaching the crowd? I often think that maybe we ask God for a portion when God wants to give us a feast. I think sometimes we ask God with small prayers when he's waiting for us with large gifts. I think sometimes we just pray for little parts of our life when God wants to restore our entire being. And then Jesus says this, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Mm. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. I love that daughter word, but I wrestle with the rest of it. Is Jesus saying here that uh, her miracle came in comparison to her faith? Because I'm not sure I have enough faith for miracles. Is Jesus saying here that my prayers equal my miracles? But isn't this the same Jesus that said, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move, and it will be moved? Is Jesus saying that it was the amount of her faith that healed her? I think Jesus was saying this, daughter, you could have started this day like any other. You could have been trapped in your hopelessness, running from place to place looking for answers. But the Holy Spirit prompted you. The Holy Spirit positioned you today to have an encounter with me, and you took it. You journeyed out of what was common and safe. You shifted your hopelessness, and faith brought you through a crowd, and hope pushed you through to me. Now that kind of theology I can live with because I can get up in the morning and I can make my way to Jesus 
because he is going to do the rest. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer an outsider. You are whole. You are complete. Now, if the woman would have just come and touched Jesus and, and had her physical healing and walked away, I think she would have been stuck for many, many, many years to come. I think she would have had her healing done, but I think her soul would have not been at rest. But Jesus has said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly, to give it to you to the fullness, to give it to you completely. And I'm telling you today, when Jesus wants to have an encounter with you, he wants to have a complete encounter with you. Hmm. At this point of the story, some people come and tell Jairus that his daughter has died. And that's a really cool story as well for another sermon. But today, I'm going to stop right here where we have this wholeness of this woman. Someplace in this story I find myself. At times, I relate to the religious rulers. The one who's accustomed to rules and order and my nice, neat world. I like things that make sense. I like order. And those rules sometimes can prevent me from seeing the people that God wants me to see. I don't want to be so religious that I miss miracles. And at times, I'm the disciples. Sometimes, I'm so intent on what I'm doing, I miss the interruption. Sometimes, the best part of our day is the interruption. Let's not miss the interruptions. Sometimes, I'm the woman. We all bleed out. Life drains us. And we think, man, I just need this from God, when really, we need this from God. We need so much more than we think we need. I don't ever want to give God too little of his power and his presence in my life. And sadly, sometimes I'm the crowd. Sometimes it's more comfortable to be a spectator than a participant. Oh, God, help me not to be part of the crowd. I don't know where you find yourself today in the story, but God has just really spoke to me through this scripture. There is so much more in this short passage, but that's what we have time for today. I hope that it has spoke to your heart as much as it spoke to mine and it's encouraged you. I hope that you don't settle for the crumbs when he's trying to give you a feast.